0: Hello and welcome to this week's podcast version of Scripps' 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 1st October 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This week, the prospects for Merck's Acceleron acquisition, the pandemic and biotech capital inflows, an interview with Menarini's CEO, upcoming endocrine and metabolic disorder products, and an interview with Novartis Pharma's President. At first glance, Merck & Co.'s $11.5 billion acquisition of Acceleron with a commercial drug and a late-stage candidate seen as a potential blockbuster seems like a good deal for a company looking to diversify its revenue. However, Acceleron recognises only a portion of sales from its sole commercial product Reblazil from partner Bristol-Myers Squibb, and will have to pay BMS royalties on sales of the Phase 3 pulmonary arterial hypertension drug Sotatacept. Mandy Jackson writes that some analysts cheered the all-cash transaction, announced on 30th September, and slated to close in the fourth quarter of this year. Others noted that royalties from Reblazil and $2 billion plus in anticipated sotata revenue will fill only a fraction of the potential revenue gap when Merck's top-selling product Keytruda, which had $14.4 billion in 2020 sales, which was 30% of the company's total, loses patent protection in the US in 2028. Even so, analysts agreed that Sotatacept gives the company's cardiovascular disease franchise a significant boost if antitrust regulators reviewing the deal do not require Merck to divest any of its PAH products or drug candidates to clear the transaction. Any divestments would work against the company's need to diversify its revenue and lessen its dependence on Keytruda. Well aware of investor concerns about dependence on key trader revenues now and in the future, executives noted during Merck's same-day investor call that the company remains committed to filling its pipeline and expanding its commercial portfolio through internal R&D and business development with external parties. We will continue to bring in the best external science that builds upon and complements our strong internal research pipeline and we are well positioned financially to complete this transaction while maintaining our ability to pursue additional opportunities, President and CEO Robert Davis said. Company executives emphasised Sotatacept as a main driver behind its interest in Acceleron, although Chief Financial Officer Caroline Litchfield described the Reblazil royalty revenue opportunity as financially attractive because it makes the deal minimally dilutive to earnings in 2022 and accretive in 2023 and beyond. Merck will fund the all-cash transaction, valued at $11.5 billion or $10.9 billion net of Acceleron's cash on hand, with a combination of cash and debt. An unexpected but largely positive aspect of the pandemic has been the ample flow of capital into the biotechnology sector as companies come up with innovations for preventing and treating COVID-19. Investors responded out of a sense of urgency and with that came an adjustment in the balance of power between biotechs and big pharma companies. It has reframed the landscape for biopharma business development panellists noted at the DeShirt Healthcare Deals Conference on 23rd September. Joseph Haas writes that many biotechs are now flush with cash, giving them greater optionality in how they advance their programmes. Prices for earlier stage and even preclinical assets have risen. Initial public offerings for biotech firms set a full year record before the end of Q3 2021. The panel discussed whether this changed state of affairs will last and what that might mean for the biopharma deal-making landscape. Matthias Mullenbeck, who's head of global business development and alliance management for Merck KGAA, said his company has experienced both sides of this trend as a buyer and seller of assets. From the seller perspective, we obviously are very pleased with the current situation, as the abundance of cash leads to an effect that we can really consider now, early-stage biotech organisations, he told the conference. Even preclinical assets have much higher valuations now, which Muhlenbeck attributes to increased availability of venture capital and private equity financing for biotechs, meaning they rely less on borrowing non-dilutive cash. Given the current hunger of big pharma and larger biotechs to broaden their portfolios and invest, the exec said he thinks increased valuations are here to stay so long as equity capital remains plentiful. As a result, Mullenbeck thinks the classic licensing deal model is evolving more toward one of true partnerships between big pharma companies and biotechs. We believe that we will see more and more deals where financial risk and development risk is shared, he said. Angus Grant, who's chief business officer for Chinese firm Beijing, called the amount of financing going into the biotech sector and the deal making that resulted quite remarkable especially in the context of the worries about how biotech would make it through in the early days of the pandemic. At the end of the day, what drives us all is there are many high unmet medical needs out there for patients, and we basically found a new one called COVID, Grant said. As the head of one of the oldest pharmaceutical companies in the world, founded 135 years ago, Menarini Group's CEO, Eltin Barker Ergun is proud of the Italian group's heritage while focusing on spearheading its future and creating a firm that she hopes will be known not just for commercial excellence but for R&D innovation, specifically in the field of cancer. It's two years since Barca Ergen took over as CEO of Menorini, joining from Merck KGAA's healthcare unit. Her appointment caught the eye not only because she became one of the few women to head up a global top 30 pharmaceutical company, but also that family-owned Menorini, which is seen in some circles as somewhat conservative, had appointed a CEO from outside. In an interview with Scripps' Kevin Grogan, Barker Urgan dismissed the claim that the family firm, which is headquartered in Florence, was parochial and inward-looking, saying that This is a company with a huge entrepreneurial mindset that has made acquisitions in Spain, Germany, Eastern Europe, Turkey, Asia-Pacific and the US, coupled with an unsurpassed partnering track record. We are evolving the culture further today, helped by the tremendous changes the pandemic triggered and to make the company a truly global one, combining its commercial excellence with an innovation power that we are creating. However, barker Ergen stressed that, even though we are number six globally in the cardiology area, cardiovascular is not an area for research for us, and commercial partnerships will continue to be the model where we are also very open to new modalities. The same goes for respiratory disease, where Menarini has long-standing relationships with the major players, such as GSK, for the co-marketing of the Ellipta portfolio for COPD, as well as colour for severe asthma in selected markets. The world's leading cause of death today is still cardiovascular disease, followed by cancer and respiratory diseases, she said. Our strategy going forward is to add oncology as the third key focus area as we concentrate on this trio of still unresolved diseases to broaden and increase our impact. In a series of articles, Scrip is taking a look at some of the key novel products expected to reach the market in 2022 in a cross-section of therapy areas. This time, with input from BiomedTracker, Alex Shimmings looks at nine new products for endocrine and metabolic disorders that could make their debuts next year. Among these are Lilly's terzapatide, which the firm plans to file with regulators later in 2021, but which will compete against entrenched once-weekly GLP-1 agonists like Novo Nordisks of Zempic. Others looked at in the infographic article include Astellas' potential treatment for menopause-related vasomotor symptoms, Fisolinitant, and Amrit Pharmas Filservez, which has the potential to be the first ever therapy approved to promote wound closure in patients with recessive dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa. For further details of the other products, please check out the full article. Finally, the biopharma industry is facing increasing pressure from macro issues like the lasting impact from the pandemic and debate over drug pricing. In an interview with Scripp, Novartis Pharmaceuticals President Marie-France Sudin weighed in on US drug price reform, competitive rebating, and how COVID-19 has changed the way the industry operates, as well as on some of the long-term growth opportunities for the company's anchor brands. The first part of the interview with Jessica Merrill, which was held in New York City on 16th September, focused on the ongoing COVID-19 recovery and new launches at Novartis, including Casimpata in multiple sclerosis and LecVio for high cholesterol, which could soon be approved in the US. US drug price reform, particularly, is at a flashpoint, with Congress expected to incorporate some kind of drug pricing legislation into the current budget reconciliation bill. The Biopharma industry has been aggressively lobbying against the House's HR3 bill, which would pave the way for Medicare to negotiate drug prices directly with manufacturers and impose fees on those that do not comply. In the second part of the interview, the touches on multiple topics, including cosentics, the R&D pipeline, and also on COVID impacts as well. On the US pricing environment, the executive commented, we are worried, we are definitely worried. You talk to anyone in my position today, and it's worrying because I don't think we are addressing the real issue, which is affordability for patients. That is what I think every manufacturer is saying. We have to be sitting down at the table and talking about Medicare Part D, but talking about Part D in the eyes of a patient. That's all for this week. A reminder that all the articles in full mentioned here are linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and that you can sign up for a free trial on our site if you're not already a subscriber. Also a note this time that last week marked the launch of the inaugural Informa Pharma Intelligence Awards Japan to be held in Tokyo next May to celebrate excellence in Japan's pharma and biotech arena across seven categories. We are very excited to announce this event for which full details and entry forms are available on the dedicated English and Japanese websites which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast. Bye for now.